Hey, uh, Christian Life, good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers in the room. Uh, uh, just wanted to introduce us. Uh, my name is Will. This is uh, Brooklyn Holiday. And um, we've been going to Christian Life for about uh, a little over three years. And uh, we help out with the college uh, ministry here at, at Christian Life. Uh, would you guys stand while we read the uh, Word of God? Acts 9, 26 through 31 says, And then he had come to Jerusalem. He attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, but they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. If you guys will go ahead and read the declaration with us. This, this is, is my Bible. Bible. It is, it is a, a lamp, lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will believe every word. I will claim every promise. I will live by every command. Amen. All right, everybody, you may be seated. All right, you ready for Acts week four? Let's do it. If you have your notebook with you, go ahead and get that out and your Bible. Um, we're already in week four, and so we have much to cover today. Um, but I want to do what I did a couple weeks ago and just give like a recap, an overview of where we have been so far. And so buckle up. Here we go. Remember... The book of Acts was written to show us the ongoing work of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through His church. And so at the beginning of Acts, you see the early disciples waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And in an upper room, the Spirit of God fills them and immediately they move into mission. They move into spreading the gospel to others. And so Peter stands up in an upper room with thousands present and preaches the first Christian message. And the Bible tells us, like we study, thousands get saved and respond to the gospel. And so the church was formed and the church was growing in Jerusalem. And there were what you see in the chapters after Acts 2, small spurts of persecution, but things keep progressing. And as the church grew... There was, like you oftentimes see, a need for administrative help. And so seven men were empowered to help, and one of those men's name was Stephen. And Stephen would boldly take a stand for the gospel, but would end up being the first Christian martyr. And a detail from Stephen's story I want to point out is chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. It says here in Acts chapter 8 that after Stephen was killed, notice this interesting fact, and Saul, the one that Brooklyn just read about, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so notice that it was because of Stephen being stoned, in case you don't know what that means, it was literal rocks being thrown and, and ending Stephen's life. It was because of Stephen being killed that actually led to the church being pushed out into the regions of Judea and Samaria. And which is interesting, if you remember back in Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it's amazing to see that though God, he did not put pen to paper that Stephen would, would lose his life But what God did is in that brokenness, God uses it, and that is what leads to the church leaving Jerusalem and moving into Judea and Samaria. So now we see the gospel spreading outside of just Jerusalem. And we continue to read in Acts chapter 8, that devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And this is where we meet the great enemy of the church, Saul. And that's basically, in a nutshell, what we've covered so far. The church begins, the church moves in mission, the church expands in Jerusalem. Even despite persecution, the church moves outside of Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria, and the gospel is reaching more and more people. And so, that leads us to today. Today we're primarily going to study the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. So, the end of 8 and 9. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and just turn there at the end of 8, specifically starting in verse 26 through 9. And as you turn there, I just want to set up today's message this way. So, if you get to know me, Pretty quickly, you'll, you'll learn that, that one of my absolute favorite things to do is to tell stories. I love stories. I can't help it. My brain is just wired this way. I remember details and dates, and I just love stories. I love to tell them, and I love to hear them. One of my favorite things to do is get around a table or maybe a fire, and it's like, you know, 60-degree weather. It's feeling great. We got maybe some food, and we're around the fire, and I just love to tell and hear stories. But specifically, the stories that I love is just hearing about what God is doing in life. And there's so much beauty and power that happens in storytelling. And so here's my key point today, and at first you might be like, how does this pertain to Acts? But it will. My key point today is this, the stories we tell can give glory to God and bring hope to the hearers. The stories we tell can give glory to God and bring hope to the hearers. So as we tell stories, in that storytelling, it actually gives glory to God and hope to those listening. But there's specifically three types of stories that I love to hear and that I want to talk about today. Number one, it's the story of miracles. It's like when God shows up in a miraculous way that's unexplainable. It's a miracle. 
You can't explain this other than God being involved. The second type is the stories of conversion. This is how somebody becomes a Christian, how one goes from being an unbeliever to believer, whether that happens as a kid, as a teenager, as a college, as an adult, as an older adult. No matter the case, I love to hear these stories of conversion. But then the third type is the stories of God's sustaining through brokenness. This has become my favorite. Of course, I love the miracles. I love conversion. But for some reason lately, this type of story has really just been moving my heart. To see God at work in tragedy and pain and brokenness, and yet to see God sustain people through brokenness, where the answer to prayer doesn't necessarily meet their expectations, yet they remain faithful to Jesus. And so, with those three types of stories in mind, I want to look at Acts. And I just want to let Acts tell us a story of a miracle, a story of a conversion, and a story of God sustaining through brokenness. And so just imagine we're around the fire today, no real fires. Pastor James would have a heart attack if I had my idea of a bonfire pit right here. No, I'm just kidding. Imagine we're around a metaphorical fire, and we're just going to let the Bible talk today and tell us stories. And so the first person to speak up, we're around the fire, we're hanging out, and the first person to speak up is the Ethiopian man in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And what we're going to do is we're going to read his story, and really his story is not just a miracle. It's a miracle and a conversion, but it's a miraculous conversion. And so, let's read his story, starting in verse 26 of chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so pause there, verse 26. I just want to point out that Philip, in case you don't know, he is one of the seven men that were chosen to be a, a deacon, to help out the apostles in just helping with serving the church. And so Philip is not one of the apostles. Philip is some like to call, he's just an ordinary, everyday guy. That was just there, he just showed up, and he got picked one day to be a key part, and now what we see is God using this everyday, ordinary Philip to go and do a miraculous thing. And so Philip receives his instruction to go to a specific road, and in verse 27, it says, and he rose, and he went, he obeyed, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And so what we now know is that this guy is an Ethiopian. This is his story. We don't know his name. But we know that he was a eunuch. We know that he was a court official to the queen of the Ethiopians. He was in charge of her treasure, basically meaning he was a big deal in Ethiopia. 
His skin would have been much darker than Philip's. He would have looked different. He would have been considered an outcast by Jews. But now what you start to see is the line dividing Jew and Gentile. There was once a harsh line. Now it's starting to blur. Now what was once a division is now starting to become blurry. And now the gospel was invading Gentile territory. And so this Ethiopian man on his way from Jerusalem, and a cool thing is that Ethiopia to the Jewish people was considered the ends of the known earth. So Ethiopia was on the very outskirts of the known earth. And what did Jesus say? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's happening? That's happening. And this Ethiopian guy gets a hold of a scroll containing the book of Isaiah, and he's reading it. And in verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So when Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So pause there. Does this sound familiar? This is Isaiah. It's the famous passage of Isaiah, chapter 53, which we now know is a foreshadowing of Jesus as the suffering servant. So like a sheep, he was led to slaughter. We know that was the cross. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He said, an ordinary but faithful disciple of Christ named Philip meets an Ethiopian guy. And through the scripture in Isaiah, he gets to share the gospel with him and tell him about Jesus. That Jesus is the lamb that would be slain. And it was Jesus that bore our sin and offers us forgiveness by his blood. And then what happens? The Ethiopian eunuch believes. He believes. And the gospel has now crossed racial lines. The gospel has now reached someone that lived in the ends of the earth, the known earth. And the gospel has invaded this Ethiopian eunuch's life. In verse 36, this is what we read. And as they were going along the road, There came some water. So you have to know that Stephen, when he tells the gospel, he was like, now that you believe this, you got to get baptized. Let's obey the Lord in baptism. And so this eunuch's like, there's some water. What prevents me from getting baptized right now? And And it says in 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. And both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And Philip baptizes the eunuch. So the Ethiopian eunuch receives Christ, obeys the Lord in water baptism, and here 
is the miraculous crazy part. And if you think the Bible's boring, then read this. This is cool. Verse 39, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So Philip baptizes the eunuch. The eunuch comes out of the water. I just kind of imagine in my imagination, the eunuch wiping his eyes, and when he opens his eyes, <laughs> he's all alone. I mean, maybe he like dove underwater. Oh my gosh, is he drowning? But he's all alone, and he went on his way rejoicing. So Philip literally gets teleported by the Spirit somewhere else. If you keep reading Acts, it says, and Philip was teleported to this, and he just keeps going and keeps preaching the gospel like nothing happened. And so notice at the end of verse 39 that it says that the eunuch, after seeing all of this, went on his way rejoicing. And so what I'm going to do here, I'm going to speculate. This is not factual, but this is an educated guess that many Bible scholars believe probably happened. As this Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing in the chariot, got a long chariot ride home, what do you think he probably did? He probably picked up the scroll and kept reading. Why wouldn't he? He just saw Jesus come to life in the scripture. So you could just assume that what he did is he picked up his scroll and he keeps reading. And if he did that, what would have happened is that he would have read the rest of 53 about the suffering servant. He would have read chapter 54 about God's covenant to his people of peace. He would have read chapter 55 about the compassion of God. But then he would have got to chapter 56. And imagine this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. He just gave his life to Jesus. He probably knows the hostility of Jews toward Gentiles. He may have questions about how in the world is this going to work? How am I, a Gentile, going to be accepted? How am I going to have a place in God's house? And then the Ethiopian eunuch would read Isaiah 56. That was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago to that moment. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. He would have read, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs, he could have put anything in the scripture. But to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Amazing. Bible is awesome. And again, that's speculation. We don't know 100% that that happened, but why wouldn't it? Like, why wouldn't he just toss Isaiah out of the chariot? No, he would have kept reading. 
And I just imagine this Ethiopian eunuch reading the scripture and seeing now the Bible, the word of God, speak straight to him. Let not the eunuch be discouraged and say I'm cut off. The eunuch now has an everlasting name in my house forevermore. I mean, I just see tears flowing out of his eyes. I am accepted by God. I thought I was an outcast. I thought I would never be accepted into the God of the Jews, the God of Abraham, Isaac. I thought I would always be despised and rejected. I thought I would always be stiff-armed by that God. And now this God says, you will have an everlasting name in my house. This is the Ethiopian story. It's a story of a miracle. And as we hear his story, I can't help but just point out a few things to take away. So in response to the story of the miracle, the first takeaway is God wants to use ordinary, everyday people to advance his kingdom. So remember, Philip was an everyday, ordinary guy, and God used him in this extraordinary way to advance his kingdom. Philip was one of the first to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the same applies to us. We, as everyday, ordinary people, can be used by God in little, small, minor ways and big, grand, miraculous ways if we are just willing to be faithful like Philip. Which leads to the second one. The second takeaway is disciples of Jesus should follow the leading of the Holy Spirit every day. Just like Philip was led by the Spirit. I just wonder, do you hear the Spirit speak to you? Or is your mind crowded by the noise of the world? Does your flesh tend to be the dominant voice leading you? Or are you in tune with the Spirit? And I pray that we would be marked by people being led and guided by the Holy Spirit. We just have to be in tune with Him and follow His leading. Number three, we should be willing and ready in every context to share our faith in Christ. So Philip was ready and he was prepared to use the scripture to show the Ethiopian Christ and explain the gospel to him. And so I wonder, do you feel like you can do that? Are you equipped? Do you know your word? Do you know how to be ready in every context to share your faith in Christ? I pray that if the answer is no, that you would let that no lead to a yes. Let's grow together. Let's be equipped. Let's be ready in every context to share our faith in Christ. And here's the last takeaway. Sharing our stories of miracles brings glory to God and gives hope to the hearers. So just think about your life. What has God done miraculously in your life? Whatever it is, share it. Get in the right context and share Get around tables, get in a small group setting, in any and every context, share your stories. It's a way you can testify to the goodness of God and bring hope to the listeners. And I just thought this morning about Luke. There's, in chapter 8, there's this guy in Luke. He's possessed by demons. He was possessed by demons for a long time, and then comes Jesus, casts the demons out. 
And now this guy, he's with Jesus. He's finally free. He's finally healed. He's fi- he finally has peace. Jesus says to him in Luke 8, 39, he says, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And it says, and then the man went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Proclaimed everywhere that he went how much Jesus had done for him. Can we do the same? Can we be people that leave and proclaim no matter where we are? Hey, can I tell you about what Jesus has done for me? I mean, you'll see the doors open up. I mean, just this past week, one of my favorite stories to tell is about how God miraculously connected me with a long-lost brother that I didn't even know I had most of my life. And of course, I want to know him, but I didn't know how. And literally, if you don't know the story, come ask and I'll tell you. But God just, in a miraculous, what seemed impossible, God opened the doors and now I know him. I was just texting him yesterday. And now I know this brother. I just this past week got to share that story with someone just to say, look at what God can do. He's the God of miracles. So what's your story? Share, because it gives glory to God and brings hope to the hearers. Amen? So that's the Ethiopian story of miracles. But now I want to move into Paul's story of conversion. And so if we're around the fire, the Ethiopian just went, and now Paul speaks up. And he just says, let me share how Jesus got me. And this is what we see in Acts 9. So Paul, formerly known as Saul, he was a key enemy of the church. And Paul was a big deal. I don't know if you know. I mean, we're very familiar with Paul, but I don't know if you understand how big of a deal Paul was when he was Saul. He was trained as a Pharisee under Gamaliel, who was a high up and respected Pharisee. You actually see him in Acts 5. I don't know if you knew that. Actually, when I was up here teaching Acts 5 and I read the name, it hit me. It's like, is that the Gamaliel that trained the Apostle Paul? It is. He's in Acts 5. This Gamaliel was a big deal. And Gamaliel had this student named Paul. And Gamaliel in history has written things about this Saul that is inching his way up. He is challenging Gamaliel. He is learning and growing and surpassing all of his peers. And this is the Paul we know. And so Paul was intellectually gifted. He was smart. He was a devout Jew. His sole mission was to erase the planet with Christians. Just think about that. Saul's mission was to wipe clean the earth of Christians. And he thought that in doing that, he was actually pleasing God. He thought in murdering Christians, he was pleasing Yahweh. And so he would have Christians, including women, arrested, beaten, and even murdered. Remember Stephen. Paul was the ultimate devout religious terrorist, the worst of the worst in regards to Christian enemies. And then comes Acts 9. Saul was on his way to do what? To persecute more Christians. And in verse 3, 
of chapter 9, what we see is Paul's story. So now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Verse 4, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but they didn't see anybody. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. So Paul just had a major encounter with Jesus. He was perplexed. He didn't know what to do. And so he's in this place. He's in Damascus. He's in the place where he was going to go, but he's not doing the thing he thought he was going to do. He's, he can't see. He's not going to eat or drink. He's in a very dark place. And so the Lord speaks to another disciple named Ananias. Obviously not the Ananias that was struck dead chapters before in Acts. This is a different Ananias. The Lord told Ananias to go to Saul and minister to him. And of course, what do you think Ananias' first thing was? Nope. Nope. Not going to do it. I know which Saul you're talking about. Nope. This is a trap. I'm not going to go. And the Lord said, no. Go. And, and at first, of course, Ananias was hesitant, but he obeyed the Lord. And he went to Saul, the great persecutor of the church. And I know that this is at the end of Acts, but I want to read Acts 22, verse 12 through 16, because what this is is actually Paul himself telling the story of what happened when Ananias came. So in chapter 22... Paul is testifying out loud, and Dr. Luke is over in the corner writing down what Paul is testifying what happened. And this is what we read in Acts 22, verse 12. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me. Again, this is Paul speaking. And standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. So just let that sink in. The first words that Paul hears is brother. An immediate acceptance into the family of God. Brother, you're one of us now. Brother, verse 14. And he, Ananias, said... The God of our forefathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you, Paul, will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and what you have heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Wash away your sins calling on the name of Jesus. So for us, 
we hear that, that's really cool. But this would absolutely wreck Paul. Because his entire life, think about it, his entire life was one singular attempt to perform and earn God's favor. This is what drove him to be a Pharisee. It's what drove him to outperform his peers and in religious duties. It's what drove him to memorize literally entire books of the Bible. It's what drove him ultimately to murder Christians because he thought in doing all of these things, it would please God. Paul's entire life was about obeying to a T, the law of God. And he thought by obeying that law through religious devotion, he could earn righteousness before God. But somehow, deep down, he never truly felt like he was pleasing to God. So he, he would strive even harder and more, all the while feeling like he couldn't measure up. And now, here at this moment, he realized, I had it all wrong. Rise and be baptized. You want to have righteousness, Paul? Wash away your sins by doing this, calling on the name of Jesus. That is how you are righteous before God, in Christ and Christ alone. And it all would make sense now for Paul. He was finally free. He was forgiven. He finally had peace with God, the great enemy of Christ now would become a servant of Christ. The great destroyer of the church now would become a church builder. And Paul would go from that moment, as we will see in the rest of this series, he would leave that moment and immediately go to advancing the kingdom of God, planting churches and writing letters that make up most of the New Testament. And this is Paul's story. I would argue the greatest conversion story ever, at least one of them. The adversary becomes an apostle, no longer corrupt but cleansed, no longer a church enemy but part of the family. So what grace does God have? And so here's what we learned from Paul's story. And man, I really hope you hear this one. Number one, the first takeaway is you cannot out the cross of Christ. You cannot out the cross of Christ. If you're not a Christian and you think that you have sinned too much for God to accept you, please hear the truth. You cannot out the cross of Christ. You can't. Ask Paul. Has anybody in here murdered Christians for their faith? Has anybody in here wrongly imprisoned men and women for their faith in Christ? Anyone? Do you remember what Paul did? He would be used by God. He would be forgiven and used by God to advance the kingdom, probably more than anyone that has existed since him. 
And so if, if Paul was in here and I asked that question, he would have went, I have. Yet, Paul found grace and mercy at the cross. So, <laughs> if you didn't raise your hand, then you are underneath Paul in your level of moral sinning. So, you cannot out the cross of Christ. Again, what Paul found was complete forgiveness in Jesus. And so, if you're in here today and you, you know deep down you are not a believer in Jesus, you, you know deep down that really maybe the reason you come to church is just because that's what good people do, or man, your kids forced you to come, or your wife made you come, or your husband, or your coworker. But you know deep down, I'm not a believer. Would you hear the gospel that you can find your rest and your peace at the cross of Christ? And I'll also add too, it, you, not only can you not out the cross of Christ, you can never perform and earn your way into favor with God. You just can't. This, this was Paul's life. He was trying to earn and perform God, and his way into God's favor. Just being a good person isn't enough. Come find rest and peace and grace and forgiveness at the cross in Christ. All right, number two, when you become a new person in Christ, you also receive a new purpose in Christ. So it doesn't matter what you've done. If you're in the family of God, you automatically become a part of Team Jesus and share Christ's mission to advance his kingdom through reaching the lost and making disciples, building up the church. And so, Again, when you become a Christian, don't get in your mind thinking, well, God can never use me. I've sinned too great. No. You get a new purpose in Christ when you are a new person in Christ. Number three, sharing our stories of conversion brings glory to God and gives hope to the hearer. Hopefully, you're seeing it now. Sharing our stories of miracles and our stories of conversion brings glory to God, gives hope to the hearers. Amen? Amen? So share your story. I don't care if it's like this long or this long. I don't care if it was I was a kid and I just always loved Jesus and I've loved the church and I've been with him my whole life. You know what that does? That gives me hope. It gives me hope for my kids because I pray that that's my kid's story. So whether that's your story or you have the story of I was a drug dealer, I was a crooked person, I was an atheist, whatever your story, whether it's eventful or uneventful, share it. Because in the testifying, God gets the glory and people get hope. Amen? All right. We're going to move into the last point as we end the plane. So we're around the metaphorical fire. We've heard the Ethiopian story of miracles, Paul's story of conversion. But then there's this final type of story that instead of moving on from Paul, we're just going to let him speak some more. So like I said earlier, I love the miracles, I love the conversion stories, but what's really been moving my heart is, is seeing 
God sustained people through brokenness and seeing people's faith remain intact after pain. It, it's, it moves my heart. It, it boosts my faith. And so what we see here is Paul, he has many of these stories. And I pray that we, I want to hear more of these stories. I mean, praise God that he answers prayer and miracles occur and praise God for those stories. We will never stop having big faith that God would move in miracles and praise God for conversions. But what about the stories that go like this? Yeah, we prayed, but they still passed away. And I was so confused, and I had so many questions, but I'm still here, and God is still good, and He was faithful to me. What about that story? Or the story of, here we are, we're still in the pain, I'm still in the waiting, I'm still in the sickness, the relationship hasn't reconciled yet. I'm still right here in the middle of the brokenness. And yes, some days are harder than others. Sometimes I even get angry at God. Sometimes I get really angry at people. But despite that, I trust God. And He's with me and He is sustaining me. What about those stories? This is what I'm saying. These stories of God sustaining through brokenness, if we are honest, probably mark more of our life than the others. Again, not to diminish the other stories. Share those stories. They are powerful. But the Apostle Paul is one of many of our past brothers and sisters that has many stories to share of God sustaining through brokenness. And this jumped out at me as I was reading Acts this week. When you read the account of Ananias coming to the Apostle Paul, to minister to him. Again, Ananias at first was like, no way, I'm not going to do it. But Acts chapter 9, 15 and 16, you hear the Lord actually respond to Ananias. It says this, and the Lord said to Ananias, go, for he, the apostle Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Suffer for the sake of my name. It was a foreshadowing of Paul's life and how it would be filled with suffering because of his faith in Christ. Let it sink in. Paul's life for following Jesus in some ways was actually going to become worse Paul, his life wasn't that he was going to put his faith in Jesus and, oh, now life is sunshines and rainbows and no bad days and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a prosperous life. I'm going to retire early. I'm going to move to the beach and I'm going to collect seashells and kick it back until Jesus returns. That is the opposite of Paul's life. Paul's life would have many ups and many downs. But all of his life 
would become an offering and a sacrifice to God. And he would follow Jesus' leading through the Spirit wherever, whenever, and to whoever, no matter what that costs. And because of his faithfulness to Jesus, Paul's life was marked by suffering and brokenness. And Paul, even in 2 Corinthians 11, he tells us the brokenness that he knows. Starting in verse 24, I'll read it. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Meaning five different times he was whipped 39 times. And just one of those times, by the way, was known to kill people. He had it five times. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Verse 28, and apart from the other things, there's this daily pressure on me of my anxieties for all the churches. That alone is enough. I'm just kidding. Not for this church. You guys are awesome. (laughs) Verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast after all of that, after everything that he went through, he would then follow all of that with this. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and the Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, he knows I'm not lying. So basically what Paul was doing is saying, if I could have it any other way, I wouldn't change it. I will actually boast in all of those things because in those things it drove me to weakness. In Galatians 6.17, Paul says, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Meaning he had visible marks on his body, the proof of the suffering for the sake of Christ. Paul knew brokenness. He knew pain. And even in the brokenness, God sustained Paul and was with him and still used him to advance the kingdom on the earth. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, near the end of Paul's life, knowing that the end was near, After a life of suffering and pain, this is what Paul says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He finished the race strong. His faith was still intact in Christ after all of these things. And ultimately, he would breathe his last, and he would see the face of Jesus. He would receive a crown of righteousness, his reward, and Paul finally could rest because his work was done. So if Paul was here with us, and he would testify and share that, man, I've seen miracles You're not even going to believe the miracles I've seen. 
Paul would also say, man, I've seen God save people in, in miraculous ways. But Paul would also say, but man, because of my faith in Christ, I went through brokenness and pain. I, things came my way that I even I asked the Lord, why? Why is this? Lord, would you remove this from me? I mean, we see accounts of the Apostle Paul and his wrestling with the Lord. But if Paul was here, he would say, I did it all for his glory. I wouldn't change a thing. And in those sufferings, what I knew was that this present suffering pales in comparison to the glory to come in Christ. Yeah. And so as we close, this is just what I want to say. May we be like Paul, and in our brokenness and in our pain, suffer well for the glory of God. I just, I know that these are not the kind of stories that you're going to post about online, on social media, at least not all of us. But I know in the right contexts, sharing our stories of God sustaining us through brokenness, man, it gives glory to God and it brings hope to the hearers. And so a few takeaways very quickly. Number one on this, when it comes to brokenness, number one, our, our perspective is limited as finite beings compared to an infinite God. So it's like I have a two-year-old little girl, and yesterday she didn't really want to eat anything except for Oreos and cookies and chocolate and candy. Now, in her perspective, that's a good idea. But in my 30-year-old perspective, I think, no, that's not a good idea. So a two-year-old's perspective on what to eat, what not to eat, when to go to bed, what's good and what's not good may differ than a perspective of a 30-year-old. Dads, you know what I'm talking about. Now, in the same way, we as finite beings compared to an infinite God, it doesn't even come close. We know God is not the author of evil, but we do know that somehow he governs over it. And, and so why does God allow suffering in our lives? Why doesn't he answer our prayers the way we want him to? I don't know. I have some answers, but I really don't know. We, we appeal to mystery, but what we do know is that he's good. He's for us, and he is with us in our brokenness. He will sustain us. He will work things out for our good, and that is a hill I will die on. He's good. He's faithful. He's with us. He will sustain us. And yes, that is a hill I will die on, believing that He is with us. He sustains me. And He is the God I don't fully understand. But the second thing is, I just said it, God sustains us. He gives grace. He gives us the grace we need in our suffering. Amen? Amen. The last thing, sharing our stories of God, sustaining through brokenness, brings glory to God and gives hope to the hearer.
And I just encourage you, church, please, share. Share your miracles, share your conversion, and share this. Because as the hearers hear, no matter the story you tell, as you are glorifying and testifying of God's goodness, here's what happens to the hearers. They receive it, and they most likely think, well, if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. If he can do that to them, he can do that to me. If he can sustain them through that, then he can sustain me through this. If he can do that miracle in them, he can do that to me too. This is how we give hope to the hearers. Amen? Let's stand together. So I just want to pray as we close. But a couple things, really one thing came to my mind in worship. I just want to speak to men, but particularly to those men that a day like today, Father's Day, you know, for me and others, it's, it's a great day, but perhaps there's a few where today's not really a great day. You actually probably didn't even want to come to church. As you hear Happy Father's Day, the voice that rings in your mind is something negative or something emotional might bring about emotions. What if, you know, you couldn't have kids? Or what if you lost your dad? I just, in worship today, was thinking about the Apostle Paul and particularly to those that maybe could not have their own kids. Or maybe you're in that in-between waiting to have a kid. I just thought about the Apostle Paul. Did the Apostle Paul have his own biological kids? No, he did not. Could we maybe assume that maybe he wanted to? I don't know. But this was something that he did not do. But the question is, did the Apostle Paul have kids? Yes. The Lord used him to be spiritual fathers to some key pillars in the church. You think about Timothy and Titus. Though the Apostle Paul did not get to have his own biological kids, he still had kids in the faith. He still was used by God to father people. And so as we close, man, if you're here today and Father's Day is painful, you're, you're on my heart. And I just want to pray for you that like Paul, man, you can already now be used by God to father people in the faith. And for everyone else here, if you're here today and you're hurting and you're broken, you're going through something, again, remember, God is the sustainer. And if you're here today and you're away from the Lord, man, you can't outsend the cross of Christ. Come find peace in Jesus. And if you're here today and you're in need of a miracle, remember, we serve a God that nothing is impossible for. Amen? So let me pray. Lord, thank you. God, we first, we pray for those men in the room. And maybe Father's Day is, is hurtful. Maybe it's, it brings about emotions. And Lord, I do pray right now that you would just comfort them, that you would draw near to them. Would you, as their Father in heaven, would you just speak to them that you are pleased with them. If they are in Christ, you are pleased 
and that they can find their rest in you. Lord, I pray that you would be the God of miracles. If there are couples in here trying to have kids, Lord, I pray for miracles, that you would be the God that works things out in a miraculous way, that many stories would come of, look at what God has done in my family. But Lord, thank you that you are the sustainer through brokenness, that you are with us, and that you give us the grace we need. Lord, I pray for this church congregation. God, I pray that many stories would be told. God, help us to have the right context to testify of your goodness. Help us to share, Lord, the miracles you do. Help us to share the ways you have touched our lives. Help us to share, Lord, how we are sustained and we find your peace and we see your faithfulness even in the broken situations. And let all of this be a way we glorify you and give hope to the world. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Jesus, thank you for the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Come on, can we just thank the Lord? All right. Well, once again, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the house. We do have cars out there for you to check out if you haven't seen them yet. We also have some food out there and some drinks for you. So go grab a snack and a drink and hang out. Happy Father's Day. We love you guys. Acts week. Let's continue next week. Love you guys.